ExtraordinaryChurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. Matter of fact, right where you are, why don't you just lift your hands and give Him praise. God, you're good and we worship you. We thank you and we celebrate your presence. We celebrate that you are alive and well. I want to wish everybody a happy Easter, what I like to call Resurrection Sunday. Jesus Christ is alive and well. He is risen, just as he said. And today, it's going to be a little different. That is very intentional on our part. We understand how you're watching, and we wanted to meet you right where you are to help you have what we hope to believe to be a very engaging experience, one where Jesus Christ will show up in your living room or in your kitchen, wherever you may be watching, to do wonders among you. Now, I'm going to read my scripture in a little bit, but today our theme is the blueprint of love. And I'm going to unpack that for you by faith here in just a few moments. I originally thought, as we were thinking about mixing this up, let's shoot this outside. And I wanted to shoot this at Danville Park. You may ask, where's Danville Park? Danville Park is the highest elevated point in Mississauga. And you may say, why is that important? Well, I'm going to tell you why. When we first arrived here at our pastorate at Extraordinary Church, the Lord spoke a very clear word to me. He told me, and I'll never forget this. He said, I have issued a call. And literally, I saw that call, almost like his word, cover the greater Toronto area. And that spoke volumes to me. I immediately went to research the highest elevated point in Mississauga. And in doing so, I discovered that that was Danville Park. Every time I go there to pray or connect with the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm reminded of that profound call in which he told me, I have issued a call. And if you will let me, my spirit will lead you to people who will be willing to abandon all for the call. And since then, many have responded to the call that has gone out. And it is my hope and prayer today that that same call is resonating not only in your hearts, but it's resonating in our neighborhoods, in our communities, our colleagues, wherever there is a living, breathing soul, that call is resonating. Any of you all that are part of the EC family, you know that I believe in the power of words. I believe that words create our world. The Bible says that the power of life and death are in what we hear. No, it says it's in the tongue. We have to be very careful what we say. Job said that thou shalt declare a thing and it will be established. God created everything that we see by his spoken word. In other words, for God to speak is the same for God to act. We need to understand the potency of our words and what we speak over our children, what we speak over our marriages, what we speak over our destinies, what we speak over what God has entrusted to us. When I look at the power of his word, I'm amazed at how it spoke to everybody, no matter where they were in life. They could come from a variety of backgrounds, yet the word of God had the profound ability to speak to men and women right where they are. Consider the disciples. The disciples were an interesting group of people. 
largely made up of fishermen, tax collectors, and uh, the bottom line is none of them, absolutely none of them would have scored high on the likability uh, chart or appeal, if you will. They were loud, proud, greedy, defensive, skeptical, uh, and independent. Frankly, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that they responded to Jesus's simple words, follow me. Let me show you this in Mark chapter one, verse 16. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who was also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. What? What in the world? They dropped everything and followed him just like that. I remember exclaiming that out loud to myself when I was reading this. Now, you have to understand a few things. One, I believe the Spirit of God was already dealing with these men. So when they heard the call, it resonated loudly with them, and they knew the voice of God. I also know that if you read the same story in Luke, we understand that a miracle happened just before this invitation, but still, leaving everything? (laughs) That's like crazy talk. Here's why I believe they did that, though. I have to believe that Jesus's words sounded different than everybody else's. The Bible says that in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. As strange as it is in this day and age, imagine dropping everything familiar for what is entirely unknown. Somehow that trade made sense. See, in Jesus is life. So his words transcended circumstances and it broke down barriers. His word lit up dark corners. It removed fear, doubt, and the desire that we all have for self-preservation. This, his word brings clarity and it elevates our understanding of what's real, what's true and important. And I believe in those words of follow me, in those two simple words, follow me. The disciples had great clarity. It took them from completely missing their purpose to seeing in bright neon colors are their reason for being. It's the same thing today that I believe is going to happen to many of you all that are watching. When you hear the word of God, when you hear his voice, all of a sudden you're going to see in bright neon lights, God is calling me. God is calling me. And for that reason, I'm going to follow the one who spoke my existence into being. The disciples gave up all they had to follow Jesus when he called them. For three years, they sat under his teaching and listened to him pray. They watched him welcome children and honor the least of these. They heard him tell jokes. He even laughed at their jokes. He was respectful to his mother, and they witnessed that. They witnessed him heal the sick, defend his father's house, and chastise the self-righteous with words. All with words. And they also stood helpless when he said no words on his way to the cross. It's always dark 
when we can't see God. You've been there. Perhaps you feel like you're there right now, just where the disciples were for those three days, confused, hurt, discouraged. You couldn't see God anywhere. On the scale of one being light and 10 being dark, they were living near double digits. As a matter of fact, many of us might feel like we're there right now with COVID-19 and the uncertainty of what we're navigating through. You might feel like we're in the double digit darkness. It was so dark. They couldn't see God and they panicked. They couldn't see God and they despaired. They couldn't see their help, their hope, their strength, and they fell prey to the tempter. It's not uncommon for us to not know or for us to understand that when God can't be seen, we feel very insecure. Sorrow becomes our constant companion and fear is a frequent guest. But can I tell you, Jesus Christ is alive and he has delivered us from fear. He has delivered us from doubt. He has delivered us from the dark because he has called us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. We've been delivered from things. We've all been delivered from things. Our mothers delivered us from their wounds. Good explanations oftentimes deliver us from confusion. And oftentimes time can deliver us from our fond memories. Deliverance is a continual process. It comes in all shapes and forms and ranges from significant events to moments that are very familiar that seem to just kind of fade away into obscurity very quietly. I talked about the disciples, but there are some disciples that I didn't mention or that often aren't noted. And there's one who knew what deliverance meant and experienced it full well. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Mary from Magdala. She knew deliverance well. Mary from Magdala was delivered as she was possessed with seven demons. Now, over the course of this ministry, of Jesus's ministry, she was delivered from everything she thought she knew. One of the things that I marvel at till this day is Jesus uses a imperfect people. This is why we say we're the perfect church for imperfect people, because he's not looking for perfection. Here, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala, we don't know a lot about her story, and I think the scripture is intentional about that. We can connect some dots with historical contextualization, but we understand that Magdala was a metropolis of some sorts. Most people that lived there were well-to-do, and Mary uh, Magdalene actually had underwritten a lot of Jesus's earthly ministry. Several ladies had done so uh, in financing what God had called him to do and what God had purposed him to do. But she knew his deliverance firsthand and well. When she was delivered of these seven demons, this is profound stuff. Now, we don't know what opened the door for this possession. We don't know if she was abused. Some liken her as to the one who had anointed Jesus's feet. We won't unpack that today and whether or not I agree or do want to dispute that, but here's what I do know. Whatever it was that had afflicted Mary, whatever it was that had grieved her, whatever it was that had prohibited her from experiencing the extraordinary life that Jesus had come to, uh, for her to experience, all that changed when she met the master. And then she's walking with him, following him very closely. Mary went from being constantly tormented by darkness 
to being regularly enlightened by the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Familiarity with his ministry developed over these three years. Just like the disciples, she knew his voice. She knew his laugh. She listened intently to his teaching. Some of his words she could process immediately. Some she failed to comprehend. She marveled, I'm sure, at Jesus's compassion for the suffering, for those who were marginalized, because she too was that way. She became fiercely loyal to the one who healed the oppressed and set the captives free. And each miracle she witnessed firsthand substantiated what she knew the moment she experienced her own deliverance. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now he's arrested. The disciples have scattered. And Mary, Mary, finds herself standing at the foot of the cross with the woman who delivered the Messiah into the world. The word of the Lord reads, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? You see, after his crucifixion, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away. Jesus, the Messiah, her deliverer, her teacher and friend was not there. The Gospels have varying accounts of what happens next, but Luke 24 says that she was reminded of what Jesus had told her in Galilee. Verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. See, those words had eluded her before, but now she remembered and understood that he too was delivered. After the ultimate sacrifice, the resurrected Christ appeared first to who? Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, the woman we know so little about. Here's what's really cool about all of this, and I'm going to unpack this just a little bit further and we're going to be done. But I want you to know, when God can't be seen, he's working his plan. We don't really know what happened from the moment Jesus cried, it is finished and darkness covered the face of the earth. Some piece together various scriptures from the book of Zechariah and Ephesians and others to say that the spirit of Christ departed the cross on a mission that day to descend into the lowest depths of hell, to preach to prisoners of hope and to deliver up the keys from man's mortal enemy. What exactly happened? I can't say, but I know this, God was at work. When you can't see God, know that he's working his plan. When you can't see everything that's happening and you can't see God, perhaps in the midst of chaos, I want you to know that that doesn't mean that he isn't present. You can trust that he is moving. When you can't feel God, I want you to trust him. When you can't track him, know that he has your best interest at heart. When you can't see him, know that God is working his plan. Here's what I want you to read in Luke 24, verse 6. Here's what the angel said. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, 
This is what he's saying to Mary, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Here's why I speak to you about the power of words, because it's my hope that you'll remember his words as well. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11, to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. You talk about unlikely suspects. Women played an integral part in the distribution of the gospel, but due to classism and cultural prejudices, women were not valued. As a matter of fact, if a woman's, uh, if it was a, if you witnessed a crime, if a woman witnessed a crime, her words were not even admissible in court. And Jesus trusted those who would be overlooked, those who would not be considered to have a great degree of credibility, to be the first to usher in words that are still ringing today. He is risen. Praise God. And you know what? I want to encourage each of you today, I believe, many of you all may be discouraged. You may feel like you've been discounted or overlooked. You might have been overlooked by family or you might have been overlooked by uh, somebody on the job. Or you might have been told or you might feel like your past circumstances discount you. But can I tell you, hear me today. He is risen. The call has gone out and God is challenging each of us today. This is one of the reasons why I believe we're not having church inside four walls because he wants us to be messengers of his word and quickly declare to everybody, he is risen just as he said he would. Jesus knew Mary of Magdala and he knew exactly what he had delivered her from and what he had delivered her for. And while standing in front of the empty tomb, Jesus told Mary, it's your turn. Mary Magdalene would be the first to deliver the single most important message in human history. He is risen. Praise God. It was so strong. I remember when like the Lord spoke to me, almost like in an audible voice, Akil, all you have to do is let me in. Those words have changed my life. And it was from that moment forward, I received the spirit. God began to do a work in my life. I believe, I feel the spirit of God so strongly as I'm sharing this right where you are. God is speaking to you. I want you to just to lift your hands. We're getting ready to receive communion in just a moment, but I want us to just take a moment and worship him. Come on, right where you are, lift your hands, open up your mouth and give him praise. God, I honor you and I bless you. I'm thankful for you are alive and well. You have defeated death, hell, and the grave, and you did it just for me, God. I honor you with thanksgiving. I honor you with praise. I honor you because you are good. You are faithful, God. Thank you for defeating our mortal enemy, God. Thank you for defeating death, hell, and the grave, for you have the keys, and you wear the victor's crown. God is so good to us, and at this time, what we'd like to do is transition to receiving the Lord's Supper. If you haven't already done so, I know Tiffik mentioned to get your communion elements ready, but now would be a good time to do so. I want to remind you of what 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four says. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
When we eat the bread, Jesus instructed us to remember him. We need to remember that his body was broken for all of us. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, the cruelty of the cross, there's no punishment so cruel. The pain that Jesus felt when his body was broken, his bloodied back, the crown of thorns on his head didn't sit comfortably on his head. It was pushed into his skull and the nails in his hands and feet. We should have felt it, but he took our place. John 2, 19. Hear these words, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days, I'll raise it up. Jesus was referring to his body. After Jesus was crucified on the cross, he died and was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the grave. We need to remember how Jesus not only resurrected his own body and claimed victory over death, but how he has resurrected us from the dead and brought us into the newness of life, according to Romans 6 and 4. In the same way, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, 25, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When Jesus died on the cross, hear me, his blood covered every sin that each of us have ever committed or will ever commit in our lifetime. We understand that the wages of sin, according to scripture, is death. And there must be a blood sacrifice for the price of sin. Jesus referred to his blood as the fruit of the vine in Matthew 26, 28. After Jesus broke the bread and presented the cup, he said it was the new testament in his blood, the new agreement, the new covenant. Testament means contract, if you will. Jesus was presenting a new contract, a new placeholder for the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Jesus became the lamb for you and I. He instructed the disciples to take all of the blood, which was not an instruction for the bread. There's a beautiful song. It's called The Blood of Jesus Speaks for Me. It's by Travis Cottrell. I want to share that with you right now, the lyrics. It says, the blood of Jesus speaks for me. Be still, my soul, redeeming love, out of the dust of Calvary. Is, the, is rising to the throne above. There is no vengeance in his cry. While it is finished, fills the sky. Forgiveness is the final plea. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. My heart can barely take it in. He pardons all my guilty stains. Surrender all my shame to him. He breaks the curse of every chain. My sin is great, but greater still the boundless grace his heart reveals. A mercy deeper than the sea, the blood of Jesus speaks for me. When my accuser makes the claim that I should die for my offense, I point him to that rugged frame where I found life at Christ's expense. See from his hands, his feet, his side, the fountain flowing deep and wide. Oh, he did shout the victory. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Lamb for sinners slain. Jesus, Lord of all, 
glory to his name. Heaven crying out, let earth proclaim, let earth proclaim. Power in the blood, glory to his name. Worthy is the lamb, the lamb for sinners slain. Jesus, Lord of all, glory to his name. I'm thankful for the power that's in the blood that was shed for you and I. I'm thankful that his blood reaches to the lowest valley and it goes as high to the highest mountain. What I'd like for you to do right where you are is I'd like for you to get the bread, whether that's a cracker, and I'd also like for you to get the cup at this point in time. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 23. It says, for I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What I'd like for us to do before we get ready to receive the bread. Let's just take a moment and repent. Repent is simply turning away and asking for forgiveness, saying, God, I'm sorry, cleanse me. I've done things my way. I wanna do them your way now. Would you join me in a prayer of repentance? Lord, search my heart, forgive me. Created me a clean heart. Lord, you know me and you know me full well. You know the good, the bad, and the ugly about Akil. Lord, I'm striving to please you. Every day of my life, I want to live for you in a way that's victorious, in a way that honors you, in a way that celebrates your goodness and your kindness. I pray that you would forgive me, Lord, of anything that I have done that doesn't please you. I plead your blood upon my mind and my heart, God. Search me, O oh Lord God. Examine me. And if there be any uh, impure thing in me, remove it. I'm so thankful for your blood. I'm so thankful for your sacrifice, God. Search me, search me, wash me, renew me, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I give you thanks and I give you praise for your goodness in Jesus' name. The Bible is clear. It says that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. I'm not asking you how you feel. I'm telling you what the word of God says. And today, I want you to Grab the bread. Lord, we lift our hearts in thanksgiving to you. Let this bread speak to us of that precious body that was broken for us. May our hearts be open to your searching spirit as we share this communion with you. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good to us, God.
I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. Thank you for laying down your life. Thank you, Lord. Your body was broken. Let healing flow in this place right now, God. Wherever your believers, wherever your followers are watching, let your healing flow. Not only physical healing, but emotional healing. Meet people right where they are in their living rooms or bedrooms or kitchens. Washing them with your presence, God. I thank you, Lord, for you are good. You are good. Praise God. I'd like for you to take the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood on our behalf. We could never come before you as your children. It is in you we have forgiveness and adoption. It is in you we have the boldness to call you Lord and God. You may now drink the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're so good. I honor you, God. Thank you for shedding your blood. It washes us clean, God, from everything we've ever done, Lord. Your blood is our only hope and our only defense, God. It's all that I have, Lord. I don't boast in my own works, Lord. I don't boast in my own thoughts. I boast, oh Lord God, on your sacrifice. I boast upon what you have done, the atoning work at Calvary. I plead your blood, Lord. Your blood is my defense, Lord. Your blood cleanses me and washes me. Your blood renews me and restores me, oh God. I thank you for your blood. I celebrate you, oh God, for you are kind. You are loving, Lord, and I worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today, God. Thank you for this beautiful blueprint of love, Lord. Thank you that you are risen and you are alive. Thank you that you are living in the hearts of men and women today, God. We bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. I want you to continue worshiping the Lord. We're going to play a very special song by Natalie Grant. It's called Clean. His blood washes us clean. As this song plays, I just want you to continue to worship the Lord. And then we're going to ask some special instructions at the conclusion of this song. Praise God. And destiny I 
Legacy family and friends, thank you for watching the online worship experience with us. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you feel in the presence of God right there in your living room, your kitchen, in your house. God's presence is so real and so permanent in your life. But now I want to tell you a little bit about how you can experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Because God doesn't want you to just thrive or to just do okay in life. He wants to give you extraordinary. And the Bible says that we all have seen and have fallen short of the glory of God. That means that we are sinners, that we are falling short from perfection. And that's okay. I do it. We all do it. We all are in that state. But the Bible also says that God wants to give us extraordinary. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4 says, For I deliver unto you first of all that which I also receive. Say, Paul is saying, I'm going to give you exactly what I received. How that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It is the same thing for us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. That means repentance. We repent of our sins. That means we acknowledge that we are sinners and that we have fallen short of the glory of God. That we're doing something wrong and we're walking in a direction and we give an 180 degree turn and we're walking the other way. That means you only acknowledge that you need repentance, that you need forgiveness of your sins. Then also God was buried. That means that we are baptized into His burial. We acknowledge our sins and we go into baptism by being fully immersed in water in the only saving name that is Jesus Christ. And God also was raised from the dead. That means the Holy Spirit will come in the inside of you. The Bible says in Acts 2.38 that if you want to be saved, you have to repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, and that He will fill you with the Holy Spirit. Not maybe, but He will fill you with His Spirit. If you want to be baptized, you can contact our church, you can email us, you can phone us, and we will arrange to baptize you in Jesus' name. But also, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit right there and then where you're at, I want to invite you to lift your hands up with all the faith in the world and start praising Him and start giving Him thanks for filling you with the Holy Spirit. And I guarantee you that in just a few minutes, you will be speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. God wants extraordinary for you. He doesn't want just a regular daily basis. He wants to make you extraordinary in His presence and He wants to live in the inside of you. Let's experience extraordinary together. Love you. to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.